guardamens? Everything. Anglophies. Gettle's gone. Oh my god, you people have just failed me. Failed me utterly. Congratulations, Scotland. We have just gone full brigadoon. That just explains so much of my childhood to me. Research purposes. It's super important. I hear an awful lot of judgment in your voice. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 28 of Anglophies, where we are going to be discussing this award season and the unbearable whiteness of being. I'm Raiden. I'm Alina. And I'm Kaylee, and today I shall be sharing my 60-minute monologue on Bradley Cooper as the epitome of cishet white privilege, and it shall be set to the music of Barber's Adagio for Strings. You're welcome, everyone. <laughs> You're welcome. Yep. But before we get into the Golden Globes and the Oscar nominations and the SAG Awards and everything else that has happened this award season, and it's been a lot, we have Hannibal news that we absolutely need to discuss. Francis Dollarhide has been cast. It's been announced. If you heard a disturbance in the force on when was it? Wednesday? Yes. Yeah, it was Wednesday. If there was a disturbance in the force you heard on Wednesday, that was... Fanable Nation going, Richard Armitage is going to be on our show? I would like to officially thank the intern who runs the NBC Hannibal official Tumblr, whose pun game has been immediately brought when he made the <laughs> joke that Dollahide is going to be a Thorin in Hannibal's side. We appreciate yep. you, NBC intern. Oh, there's going to be plenty more where that came from. We haven't even gotten onto the dragon jokes yet. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, Francis Dollarhide is the Tooth Fairy and the Red Dragon the title speaks of, which means that there is going to be a number of scenes where we see him with that particular tattoo. Yes. And don't think Brian Fuller is going to be skimping on that, because he's oh, not. Oh, God, no. Because Brian Fuller skimps on Nothing. Nothing. Not at it's all. It's a really interesting casting choice. Um, Francis Dollarhide is supposed to be very tall, very imposing, but also very shy and has a hair lip. So it's a role that's going to be a very difficult one to handle because I think most people will either remember Manhunter or they'll at least remember Ray Fiennes playing him in Red Dragon, the mm -hmm. terrible, terrible Brett Ratner movie we shan't speak of. You spoke of it. No, I didn't. What are you talking about? <laughs> <clears throat> So comes off, also comes off the news that Michael Pitt has been recast, unfortunately, due to the official explanation of scheduling issues, although if you know anything about working with Michael Pitt, that might not be the case. He's been replaced by a British actor called Joe Anderson for the role of Mason Verger. Yep, and we've been getting set pictures from Italy with Gillian Anderson in a truly spectacular hat. We've also been getting pictures of Mass Mikkelsen in leathers on a motorbike. Mm. Yes, we have. I have to say, if you're going to go on vacation in Florence, you should have spectacular hats. Um, it's true. It's true. Also, Gillian Anderson was recently on the Nerdist podcast, mostly talking about X-Files and a little bit about the fall, and apparently she's got a book thing coming out. They do mention Hannibal a couple of times. Um, but she's hilarious, and she has an incredible potty mouth, and I just love her even more. 
we shall so struggle on until summer for when Hannibal returns for season three. <coughs> Later very... date, but don't worry. I know summer is considered the dumping ground for a lot of American TV shows, but this show operates in a different realm because of international rights. So calm right. the beans, people. Calm the beans. I know we're all very, very and excited did... now that Richard Armitage is on the scene, but it yes. will come eventually. We're so excited. We're so excited. Noises but... only dogs can hear. Yeah, pretty much. That's been the... Yeah, if you saw any of our Twitters yeah. on, on State Night, it was it was all caps lock all the time, punctuated by squeeze. Yeah. So, yay. Um, I did it's see... Quote, Everyone was screaming and excited, and then my friend Rob, who um, I know from Edinburgh, was just like, oh, this is a really interesting casting choice. I can't wait to see what he does. And we were all just like, oh my god! Oh my god! <laughs> and I was like, now is not the time for common sense! Shut up! Right, right. <laughs> I did see a quote from an NBC executive saying that the summer um, release date for the premiere date is not going to affect uh, renewal announcements. I don't know if I believe him. But we'll I'm preparing see. myself for this to end at season three, just partly out of security for myself, but also because if this season does the Red Dragon story and it ends the way Red Dragon does, it would be a very interesting way to end the show. Depressing as all hell, but expectedly depressing. Yeah. So. so but like more seasons, because we would like to see more of Big Hats and Hannibal in Leathers and general pretty, miserable, cannibal, sexy horror times. Exactly. And I really want to see what Fuller will do with uh, Silence of the... Small sheep that are totally not. Smilage <laughs> of the schmams. <laughs> so, yeah. We'll see. We're excited. We'll keep you updated as we know because Richard Armitage is going to be on our show. He's going to be on our show. It's going to be like case. scared aroused the whole time. <laughs> we are going to be scare aroused. That is going to be a thing. Thank you, Lee Pace, because we know you we know who, who has the responsibility for this. We really do. Lee Pace is the best. You can't see it, but my hand is on my heart, and I'm saluting. <laughs> and that's as happy as the news gets this week. Well, there was some good stuff to come out of the Golden Globes. It was all pretty much in TV land, but there was some good stuff to come out of the Golden Globes. Well, that's true. It's interesting that the most one of the most pointless awards ceremonies in the season ended up being the most interesting and diverse because the Hollywood Foreign Press Association basically exists to have this one awards ceremony where they can invite famous people to sit around tables and drink. And then everybody pays attention to them. Because they've positioned it in the way that they have and that it comes out before the Oscar nominations, it ends up being a lead-in to the Oscars themselves and it ends up gaining legitimacy by that form. Everyone knows it's fake legitimacy, but hey, these awards, well, they're not that legitimate. They do give a level of visibility that is very appreciated, particularly for things that they did nominate an award, like in television, Jane the Virgin and T Transparent. Yep. You're making me think of uh, that bit of uh, George Clooney's speech about small movies need the help. The yeah. big one's still, right? Exactly. That is, that is pretty much it, which is one of the reasons it was so interesting to see the big change in the landscape that happened by giving best comedy and TV to Transparent, which is an Amazon show. Mm -hmm. People are now going to pay attention to Amazon. They're going to watch 
Uh, Stillman's got a TV show coming up there. They're going to watch Mozart in the Jungle. Their new pilot project's gone up. You can vote for which one you want. They've got a pilot of a Philip K. Dick novel up there, so that could be very interesting. I I'm glad at Transparent One. I entirely understand the criticisms of it, particularly the fact that, once again, it's another show where the biggest role of a transgender person is played by someone who's not transgender. And I think we have set the bar pathetically low for when a cis person wins for playing a trans role and they just don't Jared Leto it and we think, yes, progress has been made. Because mm -hmm. I really like Jeffrey Tambor and the fact that he has been as clearly humble and respectful as he has should not be the exception. It should be, it should know, be the, role. It the should norm absolutely. for when that happens. I do remember he gave an interview with uh, Janet Mock and she asked him, what have you learned most from this project? And he said, lives are at stake. Mm -hmm. And I appreciated that quite a bit. Yeah. I don't think that the award of this awarding of this show makes that year's Golden Globes a feminist show, as someone at The Guardian wrote in an article by claiming that Tina Fey and Amy Poehler making a Bill Cosby joke was a big feminist breakthrough. See, the no, bar, were plenty the bar of has other been feminists. set so what's underground. Yeah, there were plenty of other feminist breakthroughs that happened in their monologue. Um, and I think that if they had stopped with the Bill Cosby joke at just Sleeping Beauty thought she was having drinks with Bill Cosby and they'd stop there, that would have been okay. But they had to keep going and that made me uncomfortable. It, it, it felt a lot like punching down to me or punching up with the basic mm -hmm. joke being, hey, these women are going to get raped by Bill Cosby. Um, I, I do understand the very power of having them make that joke. Mm -hmm. But I feel like if Ricky Gervais had been presenting the show and he'd made that joke, it wouldn't have been considered particularly brave or edgy <coughs> or progressive in any form. Mm -hmm. I, I just, I, I, I don't expect more from Tina Fey, sadly, because she has this weird habit on Fairy Rock of making jokes about sex workers. Like, w w women categorized as whores get mocked and really nastily a lot in her comedy, and I have no idea why. It just seems like such a horrible thing to do. She's very capable of punching up, but there's a lot of her time that seems to be made around these kind of jokes, and I think that's sad. Mm -hmm. But there were other moments that I liked. I liked I like any time someone digs at George Clooney. <laughs> yeah. I loved that Amal Alamuddin was clearly playing the role of the woman who's accompanying her husband to the office Christmas party, and she doesn't want to have to touch any of his colleagues, therefore mm -hmm. she wears big gloves. Yeah. Yeah. And her entire disdain for the red carpet was just, oh my god, it was so good. And that woman at the E Network, who she clearly despises. I, I could have watched that all day. Just th that look on her face of just, oh, I work in the UN. What do you do? And anytime make any someone makes a Clooney as trophy husband joke, I'm there for that. Because he is. Well, uh, who is, isn't it? Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who gets to join that Trophy Husband Club now? Yes! He does, yes. He does. He does. I'm sad he's off the market. <laughs> anyway. Well, don't worry, Jeremy. So, Renner's back yeah, on it. um... Yes. Although, <laughs> his, uh... joke about J-Lo's Golden Globes is pretty gross. I can't believe he made that joke. I was oh, he was drunk. He was drunk off his ass. I understand that everyone gets drunk at the Globes, but man, why would you... Considering Jennifer Lopez was the best-dressed one there. What? Oh, come on. She walked into there wearing... It's a Golden Globes dress. 
No, because the Golden Globes are slightly trashy. You do not go to the Golden Globes in your Oscar dress. You wear a dress that you could technically look like it could be pulled off into a swimsuit. And that is what Jennifer Lopez did. Oh. Did you see what Keira Knightley was wearing? I did see what Keira Knightley was wearing, and I've tried it to put it 33 people to make that dress. You guys yes. cannot see me, but I'm sitting here so embarrassed right now because my co-host has just devolved into a catfight over Golden Globes. <laughs> I'm, I'm not feeling shame over okay. that. I like to do We can agree that Rosamund Pike made a serious error in judgment or in stylists, right? Yeah, I felt like the, sh- the straps were a little too long for that one. She is so beautiful. She, she is so beautiful and that dress was not designed for somebody with a woman who had a baby five weeks ago. It was only five weeks ago. Apparently. Wow. Damn, get it, Rosamund. I mean, she looks amazing, but she is clearly breastfeeding. You can tell. <laughs> oh, some feminists we are. Um, <clears throat> you can talk about fashion and still be a feminist. Not, not play this whole, oh, you should wear Doc Martens and no makeup all the time crap that I still get. Clean it down. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> Can someone please I'm... send her to a tailor? God. Because she gets put in the most beautiful dresses and none of them fit. And none of them fit. And she needs bras and things. And. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Or pretty much the entire cast of girls is like, what is happening right now? Um, And one of the dudes came out on stage. I don't even remember who it was, but he was wearing a velvet suit. And I was just thinking of the attendant who clearly had to run him over with a lint brush right before he walked out. <laughs> there's no way. There's just no way. Shout outs to the two best dressed men of the evening who were Alan Cumming, who wore what was a flesh colored suit with Chuck Taylors, which yep. only Alan Cumming Culling- could get away with. True. And David Oyelowo, who was committed to sparkle motion. Mm-hmm. Everything glittered, even the shoes. It was beautiful. Oh, it's, who was the who were the Mr. and Ms. Golden Globes? Um, it was Kelsey Grammer's daughter? I can't remember her name. Oh. But... Yeah, Greer, I think it was, or something like that. Oh, we have to point out that um, Dakota Johnson and Jamie Dornan were standing next to each other. Do they really not like each other? It appears that they kind of do hate each other. Because I watched an interview they did with, I believe it was the Today Show when the film was in reshoots. The the chemistry was negative. It was so awkward. I like to think that that entire story is so evil that it actually made them hate each other. Maybe. Well, that's going to be fun given how high the um, pre-sales are for midnight screenings, which means they're probably going to be a sequel. Oh, wait, maybe we can plug the Mark Reeds because he's been... Oh, yes. <laughs> Mark <laughs> has decided to once again fall on his sword for his listeners, viewers, audience. And he's doing a series of YouTube videos. Mark reads Fifty Shades of Grey. And let me quote, I think this is video for chapter seven in which Mark goes, you can't brush a dick with your teeth, your teeth with a dick. That's going to be on my tombstone. <laughs> yes, Mark. Yes, I have made it my mission. To make sure that Twitter never forgets the glorious things you say when you make these videos. 
Yeah. Well, I know he's catching really up with a lot of us, but it's, it takes. I take no pleasure in watching this suffering so much. It's fun to watch people suffer with Twilight. This is just sad. Well, yeah, that's kind of the thing. Like, it's very fun. Mark, the reason he has an audience for this is that he does make it really fun. But mm-hmm. if it weren't for him, his asides yeah. and his reactions, this is the most boring book in existence. Oh, God, yeah. yeah. Pretty much. <sighs> Also, the thing that's been really surprising is just how horribly unlikable Jamie Dornan has been coming across while promoting this movie. Oh my god. First of all, he told a story about visiting a sex club for for research, where he came across as just the most nasty and judgmental man. So and the perfect Christian Grey then. Making that was somehow dirty. And then he gave this quote. This is a real quote from his Elle magazine interview, okay? I think a lot of people try to undermine the whole thing, he says. But it's hard to undermine something that's so successful. Mass appreciation doesn't always equate to something good. Think of Hitler. But I think in this case it must. It simply must. There's got to be merit in it if so many people agree. He did not. Oh, no, no, he fucking did that. He fucking Godwin himself. Wow. Oh, my God. We're going to link to this so you can see for yourself because... Our good friend Papaya Junebug didn't believe me when I quoted it either, and I feel like we all need to just accept the fact that this man... You're not Robert Pattinson. You cannot pull off this level of adorable, awkward disdain for your own project. No. It's, and it's also interesting because all of the promotion is focused on him and not Dakota Johnson, and I wonder if that's because of the, the subject of the movie or if it's because of Dakota Johnson's clear lack of chemistry with Jamie Dornan or if it's to do with her own... No, I think it's because of the movie. I mean, they're trying to sell it to a particular mm-hmm. audience. They think Jamie Dornan, like, the, the audience does not care if he opens his mouth. They they want his abs. Mm. But I have to say, you know, when God you said, knows like... we're not actually going to see a lot of dick. <laughs> I don't care about his abs now that he shaved his chest. <laughs> Stop doing that! You know, the fact that you just compared him to kind of, like, he's failing to do... Um, the, the Robert Pattinson, I'm like, that that's kind of just encapsulates, like, Fifty Shades is Twilight, but more toxic. Like, with anything that made it non-toxic stripped away, yeah. which wasn't much to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. It's also combined that with the clear infantilizing that goes on with the Anna character and the way that Dakota Johnson is being sold as the Anna character. There's lots of the, the lip biting and all the photo shoots she does, she looks like she's, you know, posing for some you know, jailbait magazine. It's really unsettling. Yeah. Yeah. I know a lot of people are going to go and watch that movie. Please pay for Selma and then just sneak in instead. Right. Um, I will be going to see it with my fellow Smart Bitches reviewer, Amanda. Because um, we did promise that we would review it for the site. So we're going to throw ourselves on that short sword. You don't have to. You don't have to. It's okay. Will you be drinking while you're watching? Oh, uh, Yeah, we're going to sneak stuff in, yeah. Before we Good. move on, one last thing. Cleo on Twitter was saying how, oh, didn't I promise to like recap this book? And her mentions <laughs> were nothing but just, I think, a dozen just, people no! going like, no! No, you have so much to offer! <laughs> Cleo, you've given this fandom everything. <laughs> Not everything. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> Okay, so back to topic in the Golden Globes. They, um, I think it was Pop Culture Happy Hour did point out that all of the TV awards went to people who had not won a Golden Globe before. 
and Gina Rodriguez and Jane the Virgin, which I'm so happy about. The show is so delightful, you guys. It's so delightful. Um, is the sole network winner. So the CW got Golden Globe, got a Golden Globe, just one, and NBC, CBS, ABC, Fox did not. So let that sink in for a minute. The CW have been on their A game for the past couple of years with the shows that they're picking and getting the right audience for them and really making some interesting creative choices. And Jane the Virgin is a wonderful example of that. And kudos to them for renewing the show before it won the Golden Globe instead of sort of waiting to hedge their bets. Yeah. Because it doesn't quite have the audience of, you know, their bigger shows, but it does have a, a dedicated base. And because this channel is smaller than, you know, Fox or NBC, that might be just be enough that it needs. Yeah. And Gina Rodriguez's speech was adorable. She's so yes. sweet. They clearly stuck her like in the rafters or something, and she had to. Oh yeah, she had to run it speech. from the network CW ghetto. Poor girl. <laughs> <laughs> and she's adorable, and she really, she has said in interviews that she had been offered a lot of jobs where she was playing a maid or something like that, that she turned down because she didn't want to be pigeonholed in that character like a lot of other Latina actresses and that that paid off when she was offered Jane the Virgin and getting to be the hero of her story of a predominantly Latino Latina story was just I am so happy for her and the show is so cute (laughs) and the girl has chops she turned down uh, Devious Maids to do the yeah. show. Yeah. So it paid off. Well done to her. Stephen Amell's saved the way for some important TV is what we're saying. Yes. So thank you, Amelie Wood. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Kevin Spacey's speech is hilarious. <laughs> this is just the beginning of my revenge. I can't believe I fucking won. <laughs> and then we get into the movies. The Russian movie won for best foreign language. I'm amazed. I, I'm amazed politics are allowing Russia to win anything on the side. I'm amazed that Russia put that film forward. The entire moral of that movie is authority is terrible, particularly Putin's authority. It is not a film that is particularly kind to the government that is currently in power. So I'm amazed that they thought, yeah, we'll put this forward as a representative. Um, it's, you know... I think he's a very acclaimed filmmaker who it's from. A friend of mine absolutely adored the movie. There's a lot of love for it. Yeah, no, and, and I mean, you could say that there's a lot of politics in that decision, too. You know, see, you're criticizing me, but look at the movies I'm, you know, allowing. That's true. I'm allowing, yeah. yeah. I was really happy for J.K. Simmons. Apparently, I saw him in Guys and Dolls on Broadway in 1993. <coughs> I had no idea until a couple of nights ago. And I was listening to an episode of Fresh Air. And he talked about it, and I went, wait a second. I think I saw that production. <laughs> so I've been a fan of his longer than I knew. I think everyone's a fan of J.K. Simmons. Everyone recognizes him from something, be it he's in a series of TV adverts, he's the voice of Cave Johnson in Portal 2, he's in Spider-Man, he's in Juno, he's on TV. He's done everything. He has put in the work. Yeah, absolutely. So <clears throat> in, for the Oscar, I'm totally team J.K. I think he's a lock. He is the big lock of the mm-hmm. which yeah. is great because it's J.K. Simmons right yep totally supportive 
Uh. Yeah. So. This whole field was super white. Do we want to make that the natural segue into the Oscar talk? Because the whiteness yeah. is blinding. I have to pull my blinds down. Yeah. Let's uh. Let's see it. So Oscar nominations were announced on Thursday. And it is shaping up to be the whitest Oscars since 1998, which is a trick. To show you how white this is, all 20 acting nominees are white. There are four white men nominated for Best Director as well as one Mexican director, Alejandro González Iñárritu. All of, in, in, in terms of other forms of diversity, um, every writing nominee is a man. There are only eight films up for Best Picture this year out of a possible ten, which means that they had the option to make this a more diverse field, and they just didn't put yep. forward enough support for it. And seven of those movies are about white men. One is about black men, mostly. Um, and we'll get into Selma, because I think Selma does pointedly say things about the civil rights movement and the leadership and the participation of women and how women were sort of shunted off to the side when, in terms of leadership, but we'll, we'll get there. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, that's I think the thing that's important to start the discussion <coughs> with is what, what do the Oscars mean? They're considered the biggest award. They're the one with the biggest visibility. If you tell the average film goer, someone who doesn't really pay much attention to this area of interest, this won an Oscar, that immediately registers with them in a way that, you know, oh, this won the National Film Critics Society Award doesn't. And the ecosystem of Hollywood is centered on making money and making a winning awards, which means that there are two kinds of films that get made, which right now are Oscar bait and franchises. Not a whole lot of overlap between the two, even if a franchise film ends up being one of the best of the year, it won't make it in here. And it, the people that are voting for these awards are 94% white, 76% male, and their average age is 63. So it's not about making the best film of the year, no matter how objective that decision is. It's about making the one that you can market to be the best to this particular audience, yep. which is potentially one of the reasons that Selma was shut out. That, and at the risk of sounding conspiratorial, there was one hell of a smear campaign mounted against it that I think has a stench of Harvey Weinstein all over it. Yeah, there was a smear campaign, and I strongly suspect that there was a sense of, well, we proved last year that we weren't racist, so we don't need to do it again. I feel like a lot of this year's nominees were prefaced mm -hmm. with, I'm not racist, but... Mm -hmm. And that was Which exemplified really by the fact that Selma... the only way I can possibly explain American Sniper. Yeah. Uh, for a bit of background, has, Selma I'm not has racist, been but subject to... Selma has been uh, subjected to one really nasty and very hypocritical campaign that seems to be outraged over the fact that the film doesn't centre the entire story of civil rights around Lyndon B. Johnson. 
and not just that it doesn't center around him but it doesn't make him out to basically be the gandalf of civil mm-hmm. rights the man who would walk up to where you know racist policemen and go yes come on you can do this black people i will let you through that means that seems to be their big problem yeah. and i understand it when if you look at the history of these kind of films mississippi burning glory um civil rights films made by hollywood in particular are centered on the white experience they're always centered on the one not racist white guy in a town full of racists who helps the poor black people or the racist guy who ends up being the one not racist white guy who helps the poor black people yeah it makes people of color out to be passive in their own movement i mean right let's put it this way there's a reason the blind side was up for best picture there's a reason yeah. American Sniper is up for Best Picture. Mm-hmm. Right. And something that they brought up in Pop Culture Happy Hour last yesterday in yesterday's episode, I can talk, look at this, um, did discuss the, the difference between truth and authenticity and what kind of makes people angry. And one of the things that Gene Denby pointed out is that... Um, one of Anna DeVernay's, the director of Selma's very recent jobs was working on a publicist, working as a publicist for The Help. Which I feel like explains so much because there's an interview that she did with Rolling Stone and we'll link to it where somebody asked her, why didn't you be more accurate with Linda B. Johnson and she said because I didn't want to make another White Savior movie because she wanted to make a movie in which the central characters and the central heroes were the black people who were out on the front lines fighting this fight for themselves and that's the story she wanted to tell and that's the story that she needed to tell and she told it in a way that I think a white director definitely would not have. I think a white director definitely would have punched up LBJ a lot more. And she told it in a way I don't think a male director would have. There are certain scenes that, especially with Coretta Scott King, talking with other women about what she feels her role in this is, and how she is sometimes very conflicted by it, I don't think a male director would have even considered that. And this is the importance of having women and having people of color be able to tell and run their own stories, is because you get a completely different perspective than the majority white male idea of how the world works, because that isn't just the only way the world works. And that's why this is important. And that's why Anna DuVernay not getting nominated for Best Director. I mean, Selma got nominated for two. For Best Picture, which is legit, and Best Song. It's a great song. And it's probably going to win. To be our black best friend. Um, But, and I'm quoting Linda Holmes here, apparently Selma just made itself because nothing else was worthy of getting nominated. Please hear the air quotes there. <clears throat> so I'm pretty pissed off about them. As it, it, it's also just, it was so blatant, this omission. Mm-hmm. It didn't even occur to me that Ava DuVernay would not get nominated this year because, not just because of the lead up to 
the nominations where she was receiving a lot of nominations for other um, directing awards, but I didn't think that they would buy into this particular smear that was going on, particularly because of the other films that are about, you know, based on true stories that are nominated, American Sniper, The Fury of Everything, and The Imitation Game, have all been called out for historical inaccuracies. The guy but, that American Sniper is based on was successfully sued in court for lying in his memoir. But that doesn't matter because white people. Right. And the imitation game. I saw the imitation game. I really liked that movie. But there was a lot of simplification that had to be done because you really don't want somebody explaining in minute detail how Enigma works in a movie. Because that's going to be boring as fuck. But it also, once they break the code, everyone's like, Great! We have all the information. Let's tell everybody. And Turing's like, no, we can't tell everybody everything because then they're going to act on it and they're going to know. So we're going to be the ones who figure out which bits of intelligence get sent out to command, which no, I mean, yeah, they did. They, the allies did limit the amount of information that they acted on, but Turing's crew was not the ones who made that determination. And I have not seen the level of vitriol sent towards the imitation game or sent towards the theory of everything. I mean, nobody is even actually talking about American Sniper. So I can't even with that. Clint Eastwood, just stop. Just stop, please. Go sit in that empty chair you keep talking to. <laughs> Leave us alone. The, the, the but the level of, of anger and vitriol that Selma gets, no yeah. one else is getting. And the, honestly, it should, for particularly in the case of The Imitation Game, there was a wonderful piece written in the New York Review of Books about that film and the way that it handles Alan Turing in particular, the way it has simplified a lot of his character, made him seem kind of autistic when he never was, the way it has entirely softened his homosexuality while still trying to play it up as if he was a a stalwart of the gay community and a big idol, whereas that wasn't really the story of his life, and a lot of people who knew Turing or were associated with Turing have called this out. But because Harvey Weinstein is distributing that movie, and this man has been playing the game successfully since about 1989, he knows how to do this. And that's what this, the issue with the Oscars is. It's not a competition, it's a game. Mm -hmm. And there's a very important distinction to be made there, because having the right narrative is almost as, if not more important, than the film itself. And the imitation game has a narrative that works, because you can push it as being the gay rights movie while not making it too gay for a bunch of 63-year-old white men. Right. You've got the leading man who, for some reason, lots of people like. You've got the British prestige around it. It is a fine movie. But comparing it to something like Selma and the rapturous response that got, and the fact that it's being screened for free for students in this, you know across America and the power that that has and that that should make a difference and the fact that it doesn't shows that this system is broken and has been broken arguably for decades but it's hard to combat that and take it on because doing that would involve depowering the Oscars and no one wants to do that yet Mm -hmm. I think we should just say there are eight nominees this year out of a possible ten because of the way the weighted ballot works you have to get a certain number of votes to get into the, the category so the best picture nominees are and I'm expecting you all to make appropriate noises American Sniper whatever Birdman 
Boyhood, The Grand Budapest Hotel, which I really love, The Imitation Game, Selma, The Fury of Everything, and Whiplash. So we have one, two, three, four stories that are based on true stories, three of which are based on white men. You have two stories about the artistic pain of being a white man and creativity, and it's hard. I just want Mm -hmm. to make art. Um, You have Boyhood, which, if nothing else, is a technical masterful undertaking being filmed right. over 12 years and then <laughs> but would grand... it have been made about a non-white boy no nope. it wouldn't be nope. called boyhood either nope that movie technically should be called childhood because it is as much about Lorelai Linklater's character as it is about Eller Coltrane mm-hmm. but no um and then you have the Grand Budapest Hotel which is my favorite film of 2014 but I'm kind of stunned that it's done as well as it has this year it came out in February which usually means that it's going to be entirely ignored it's I mean it's my favourite Wes Anderson movie I don't know if it's his best I'm amazed that he has sort of been shut out for things like the Royal Tenenbaums whereas this has just kind of dominated the field in a lot of ways and I've been trying to figure out what it is that has made this film stand out so much for this category and I don't know I loved it, I, I really did I think it's a brilliantly made film I think it's got all of the Wes Anderson quirks but it manages to be full in terms of substance too it's got great acting it's beautifully designed um it's very bittersweet um but yeah I think it's going to get a lot of technical noms I don't think it'll win best picture for I think Boyhood's going to win that Mm -hmm. unless the imitation game pulls it out and I know Linda Holmes has been predicting that the imitation game will win that's what I thought up until about four days ago that I thought the imitation game was going to just sweep everything. I think, I definitely think that Cumberbatch is not going to win Best Actor. Yes! Um, it looked like he was because he was kind of sweeping critics awards and then he's... He really sucked. wasn't. But that's the interesting thing is that I think Best Picture would be more safe for the Imitation Game if Cumberbatch was a lock for that award, but right now I think it's a two-way race between Eddie Redmayne and Michael Keaton. Yeah. And Eddie Redmayne's work is more visibly difficult a piece of acting. It's a capital A acting, you know? Mm -hmm. Everything he does, you can sort of look at it and go, wow, he's acting brilliantly there, isn't he? And I think you see that with all of the actor nominations this year. They're all actor actors yeah there's a lot of prosthetics and weight gain and pretend you know acting disabled and things like that it's just mm-hmm. they're ones that are you know you can see the words for your consideration floating over their heads in every scene yep yep and another thing that i'm just gonna keep going back to pop culture happy hour point it out <laughs> we love pop culture happy hour really I so do. much of my homework in university listening to them yeah. is that the majority of the Best Picture noms don't even have a lead actress to be nominated. That is very true. The only one who I think is nominated is a lead is Felicity Jones yes. for The Theory of Everything. And that really feels like a, a category filler because that this year, and let's be honest, most years, there weren't a whole lot of women to choose from. And that right. is disgusting. And that's not because female performances have been bad because that's bullshit it's because there aren't movies being made with female roles in mind that's why 
I mean, just look at this list. It's very depressing. Go back just to read out the actor nominations. God, every time I look on this page, Cumberbatch's face flashes. Oh, go away. So there's <laughs> there's Steve Carell for Foxcatcher. White Man for American Sniper. Benedict Cumberbatch for The Imitation Game. Michael Keaton for Birdman. And Eddie Redmayne for The Theory of Everything. One person there has been nominated before. Three nominations in three years. That man is the definition of normcore. And then you have four first-time nominees. Um, one, two, three, four. Four are playing real-life people. And then Michael Keaton is basically playing a fictionalized version of himself. Mm-hmm. And this was a year for some really interesting male performances. Really sort of outside of the box, strange acting. But none of them are here. This is as middle-brow as it gets. And that's quite sad. I was actually at one point predicting that Jake Gyllenhaal was going to get in for Nightcrawler because this is really the film that's kind of had him come back and show you're a, he's a really talented actor. It's a very dark and unlikable performance, but he's so good in that movie and it's just a very strange piece of work. He didn't make it. Timothy Spall didn't make it for Mr. Turner, which is my favourite performance of the year. Um, David Oyelowo didn't make it for Selma, but which he is still committed to is... Sparkle Mission. Yeah, right. Which is bullshit which is total total bullshit i mean he's playing basically the only person in american history that i mean he's got a holiday named after him for fuck's sake like how do you do that and he manages to not do martin luther king but he does martin he does. A, he plays a guy who, when a small Moppet child runs up to him and squeals, Uncle Marty! You can totally see that. And he has somehow, and I don't know how, like, this is not something I would have expected from a guy from MI5, which is a show I like, but come on. <laughs> isn't, <laughs> he in the, um, isn't he in the really weird As You Like It that Kenneth Branagh did? Uh, I'm sure that's him. Maybe. Maybe there's another actor who's put in years of, you know, very consistent work being that guy who you can never remember the name of, but you think, oh, he's good. And this thing is well about Selma being shut out is Selma is an Oscar movie. It's a biopic. It is based on true story of American history. It's made by American filmmakers. It's pushed by a studio. I think Paramount fucked them over greatly yeah oh, paramount did not send out screeners to any of the guilds Kelly, yeah. you're right which he wasn't a, as you like it yeah he was uh, they, they did not send out any screeners for the guilds which is just a big no-no the i think the release was i don't mind the release being late because you know american sniper came out on christmas day and that nobody cared about that i i feel like their strategy was they i don't think there was enough pushback against what was going on with possible weinstein sabotage mm-hmm. or maybe scott rudin it might have been him he might have just been really pissed off about those emails and well he didn't get nominated for a sag either fuckers no nominations for baftas for selma either and they sent out screeners to the bafta wars yeah but the thing is it's just it's such a bland category if you're going to insist to be racist old white men can you at least pick some interesting white dudes in that category because there were plenty to go with. I wouldn't have minded even Ben Affleck getting in for 
Gone Girl because he may have limited range, but he at least knows how to use it, unlike Bradley Cooper. Right. That's what gets me about Bradley Cooper. Bradley Cooper is the epitome of cishet white male privilege. Because he is a fine actor. Not great, fine. He's reasonably attractive, my mother would say very, but I wouldn't. He's very cute when he's with Jared Butler, but that's it. <laughs> and he doesn't pick his... I mean, he's picked the right roles. He knows how to pick roles for Oscars, but they're not roles that you would think 10 years down the line going, wow, that was great work, wasn't it? Yeah. And I just get the feeling he's going through the motions to get this award. And it would be fine if he would admit that. That was kind of one of the reasons I really admired Jennifer Aniston's hustle this year, because she really wanted that nomination and she was going to work for it. She wasn't successful, but she at least didn't hide the fact that she wanted it, whereas he's doing the whole oh, well, you know, it's a real honour to be nominated, but I'm just here for the work, and he's going and shaking everybody's hands and going to every party. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons I'm also really liking Steve Carell this year, because he's like, you know what? Yeah, I do want to win. Yep. Go get it, you and your prosthetic nose. That's one hell of a nose, isn't it? I'm pretty sure Mark <laughs> John DuPont didn't have a nose like that. Yeah, details. Detail. I mean, if that's what you need to do to... <laughs> get people to not go, oh, it's the dude from The Office. He Legit. looks like a real-life guru from Despicable Me. <laughs> it's really distracting. Yeah. The nose plays. And the nose does play. The nose plays. Um, also, someone they didn't nominate and I thought might get in for supporting was Christoph Waltz for Big Eyes, because he's Christoph Waltz. Yeah, I don't Obviously, mind I that. I mean... I don't mind that movie being ignored because I haven't seen it and I'm not going to. The previews freak me out because those paintings are terrible. Hang on a second, it's my mom. Hi, mom. Hi, Kaylee's mom. Have you hi, brought Kaylee's dinner? Mom. I have. She's brought me my dinner. Thank you very much. Thank you, you Kaylee's mom. She said hi. Did you hear it? <laughs> Thank you. Sorry, where was I? Uh, oh, the thing about big eyes, I think. Um, we should just point out Big Eyes is being advertised as, and sold by the Weinstein Company for nominations as a comedy. It's a film about an emotionally abusive husband who gaslights his wife into pretending she didn't paint the work he's claiming credit for. Yeah. Oh, Laugh Riot! Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, I'm happy that Amy Adams won the Golden Globe, but I'm okay that she's not on the... I love her. She's a pocket full of ginger sunshine. Yeah, she's adorable. She's adorable. Uh, let's move on to Best Actress. So we have Marion Cotillard for Two Days, One Night. Felicity Jones in The Theory of Everything. Julianne Moore in Still Alice. Rosamund Pike in Gone Girl. And Reese Witherspoon in Wild. Uh, one of the things that I kind of like about this category is that Reese Witherspoon bought the rights to Gone Girl. And then ended up not being cast because the director didn't think she was quite working out. And she's been, she stayed on as a producer and has been so supportive of Rosamund. And now they're both nominated for Academy Awards. So ladies, helping each other out. Yay! I think Reese Witherspoon's had a good year. I mean, she's kind of brought her career back, which mm -hmm. I really admire. Um, she's also one of the only people, there's two people in this category that have won before, she's one of them. She won for Walk the Line, which I really like. Um, and Marion Cotillard won, and she's probably the surprise out of the nominees here. The other four were kind of considered locks, because there were yep. very few out there. I thought Jennifer Aniston was going to get in through sheer force of will. Mm -hmm. 
She didn't, and I'm kind of glad about that. Um, but <laughs> Marianne, Marianne Cotillard got in for two days, one night, which is a Belgian movie. Um, very, very favoured by critics. Um, her, her two roles this year were Two Days, One Night and The Immigrant. And The Immigrant was basically screwed over by Harvey Weinstein because the director refused to cut it for him. So he ignored the film for about a year and a half and then just gave it like a two-week release mm-hmm. and then shoved it onto Netflix, even though all these critics were like, this is really good. Why are you doing this? Because Harvey Weinstein is uh, redacted because I don't want to die. <laughs> he has he's snipers the, everywhere. He's doing the UK talk show circus now. He was on Graham Norton last night trying to be really charming and dropping names like it was confetti at a wedding. Mm-hmm. It's like, stop it. You're not allowed to be human. Yeah. I think I really liked Rosamund Pike in Gone Girl. Um, I think she was amazing, but I think Julianne Moore is going to take this. Oh, yeah. She has... This is something the Oscars do a lot of, which is we didn't give you the Oscar when you really deserved it, so we're going to give it to you as the makeup award now that you're playing a role that we kind of like, which in this case is a woman with early onset Alzheimer's. Yeah. And I listened to a review on Fresh Air of that movie, which I have not seen. Um... I did my homework as best I could. Um, And they included a clip where she was trying to explain to her daughter about what it's like when she isn't able to quite hold on to a thought or figure out the words she needs. And, I mean, even just in audio, it was pretty, pretty amazing. So, and Julianne Moore... She is she has paid her dues. Her hair is the most color in any of these nominees. <laughs> I, I think I won't be sad about her winning. I'll be sad that she didn't win for Magnolia or Boogie Nights or Far From Heaven when she should have won. Mm-hmm. But this is expected. You're, there are very few cases where the the film or the person who deserves to win that year actually does win that year for that particular film. Yep. Um, I can think of a handful of instances off the top of my head. Um, 12 Years a Slave winning Best Picture is one. Um, mm-hmm. Philip Seymour Hoffman winning for Capote is another. It doesn't happen very often. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't mind Rosamund Pike winning for Gone Girl just because I think that would be so batshit. <laughs> <laughs> I think she. I still think she's a touch too regal for Amy Dunn. Mm-hmm. But her the final third of that movie, she nailed. Mm-hmm. The anything with Neil Patrick Harris, she was just on yeah. point. There's one I... scene where she's not to spoil anything. She's watching television, and Ben Affleck's giving an interview, and he's basically talking to her and saying, "I'm on the same page as you. I know what game is going on, and I'm willing to play it with you." And just she doesn't say anything. She's just shoveling ice cream in her and down her mouth and watching TV, and it is brilliant. Mm. She doesn't say anything. She doesn't do anything really, but it is. Yeah, it's just the, the subtlest shift in body language, and you can absolutely see exactly what's happening. I, I was kind of hoping that NPH would sneak in a supporting actor nomination. I, I was surprised, a little surprised they didn't, because he's hosting this year, and that feels like the kind of narrative they'd go for, because they nominated that awful, awful Family Guy man the year he hosted. So, <sighs> hey, Seth MacFarlane's got an Oscar nomination, everyone. Yeah, Jonah Hill has two. Thank God this is not... (laughs) A friend of mine on Facebook pointed out that 
Look, guys, at least we avoided the sentence three-time Oscar nominee Jonah Hill this year. So there's that. I, I don't even remember if he did anything that... But still. Anyway, so... Are you yeah. saying 22 Jump Street was not worthy of an Oscar nomination? Well, I haven't seen it, but clearly if anyone was going to get a nomination out of that, it would be the Tatum. <laughs> Fair enough. It's a national treasure. I, I was... I would put in Channing Tatum over Steve Carell. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Channing Tatum over Steve Carell. In fact, he's just the best person yeah. ever. Look at him. <laughs> I I really would love to live in a world where Oscar nominee Channing Tatum was a thing. I would love. I think to it could that. happen one day. I think he's perfectly talented to do it. And he's just a nice guy, and that matters when you're going to all these parties and you want people yep. to feel like you're the only one in the room. And he can do that, because he's so yep. charismatic. He really is. I guess all we'll right. see after Jupiter Ascending if we still... <laughs> right. uh, best Supporting Actor. We have Robert Duvall for The Judge. Like, <laughs> like everyone went, oh, Robert Duvall was in a movie? Check. <laughs> Ethan Hawke for Boyhood. Edward Norton for Birdman, Mark Ruffalo for Foxcatcher, so it's the Battle of the Hulks. Yes! <laughs> I, I'm, I'm so happy, you know, that, that like, you can have these franchises so ubiquitous now, so you can have Best Supporting Actor and the Hulks are squaring off against each other. Yep. And J.K. Simmons for Whiplash. J.K. Simmons winning next. Yep. No, um, there's actually there could have been some interesting ones here. I was thinking maybe Josh Brolin was going to get in for Inherent Vice. He seemed to be the only actor in that movie full of about 40,000 actors who might get in. Mm-hmm. Um, if only for the scene where he fillets a chocolate banana. But I don't know if that would make the Oscar real. It would have been amazing, though. But yeah, <laughs> I think I think J.K. Simmons is going to win this, no problem. And he will deserve it, and everyone will love him because he's J.K. Simmons and he's deserved it. Yep. I mean, the only person I think could possibly upset, and this is like a 1% chance, would be Ed Norton, mm-hmm. uh, who is as much riffing on his own persona as Michael Keaton is in Bird- Birdman. He's playing this incredibly egotistical, difficult-to-work-with actor who everyone hates but is really talented. Yeah. Which is basically Edward Norton. Mm. But yeah, yeah, give it, give it to J.K. Give it to Alina. King Johnson and then make him do the Portal 2 rant. <laughs> <laughs> Alina, would you like to read off a supporting actress? Uh, sure. So we have uh, Patricia Patricia Arquette for Boyhood, Laura Dern for Wild, Kira Knightley for The Imitation Game, Emma Stone for Birdman, and Meryl Streep for Into the Woods because you nominate the actresses and then you nominate Meryl Streep. Yep. I think Patricia Arquette's winning. I think so too i thought i thought kira knightley was really good in the imitation game and i'd kind of love to see emma stone win just because i want to see that happen (laughs) the only real surprise here and i say surprise lightly would be laura dern for wild Mm -hmm. which many just consider to be the reese witherspoon vehicle yep um it's a great story i really liked the book it's not Eat, Pray, Love with Hiking. Let's just clear that up. It's far better than that. So you should read Wild by Cheryl Strait. It's a really good piece of work. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Boyhood's um, Patricia Arquette is the the only out of the only six nominations I got, which surprised me. Um, but out of those nominations, I think this is the one it will definitely win. It is 
the huge undertaking of 12 years watching that the growth of that character as she naturally ages and hey as Amy Poehler and Tina Fey said there are roles for women under 40 in Ho- over 40 in Hollywood you just have to get them when they're under 40 yep yeah, a friend of mine finally went to go see Boyhood and like she knew she knew the construction of it and there was still a moment at the beginning of the movie where she went wow he made Patricia Arquette and Ethan Hawke look really young in the beginning of this. <laughs> oh, right. <clears throat> Never mind. <laughs> you know, I I almost feel like the whole um, what are the movies? The before sunrise, before sunset, before midnight, kind of prepared Ethan Hawke for this experiment. Yeah, it's almost like he has some sort of experience making this before. Obviously, not the exact same thing, but. I feel like if Richard Linklater tells him, we're going to make this thing and it's going to take about 12 years of your life, he's just going to be like, yeah, sure, let's do it. Mm. I had something really mean to say here. Like, what what else does he have to do with his time? But that is really mean. <laughs> I'm sure... Well, he was up for Doctor Strange. <laughs> oh, there were so many actors that could have gone to. We could have had it all. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, look... I unlike Kaylee, I actually I do like Benedict Cumberbatch. That will disappear very soon. Seeing directors in studios constantly go, "Oh, we could do something interesting," or I know that Benedict Cumberbatch has a huge, huge fan following, so he'll make us a shit ton of money. Yeah, Almost but it doesn't the make... most obvious choice. But his fan base didn't come out for, like, half of his movies that came out a couple of years ago. Where yeah. were they when The Fifth Estate came out? Even they were like, no, I don't want to watch you play the rapey man. It's the MCU. They're going to make a shit ton of money no matter who they cast. Yeah, yeah pretty much. Pretty much. And I it's could just... have had Odette Fair. Or exactly. It's, just, it's a boring choice. It's a Fuck, boring... I just wish they'd picked Joaquin Phoenix because they would have made him go on a Marvel promo tour and it would have been the most awkward thing ever. <laughs> it would be amazing. <laughs> Did you see him when he was on Jimmy Kimmel and he pulled out the couch? No. They were just sitting there and he says, do you want to have a lie down? He says, did you know that your couch pulls out? And he just stood up and started pulling apart the couch and it is a fold-out couch. And Jimmy Kimmel was just like, I didn't know it did that. (laughs) (laughs) So they had a lie down on the couch together. Aww. It's actually pretty adorable. You should watch. And then he admitted he had a crush on Amy Poehler. Which I was convinced was going to be a setup for a joke at the Globes and it wasn't. He just admitted he had a crush on Amy Poehler, like everyone else on the planet. Yeah. Was it... It wasn't Jimmy Kimmel, it was the other one. Fallon? Found out that, that he had been on a date with Nicole Kidman. Oh, he could have uh, oh, got yeah. out of it. He didn't realize it was a date. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Bless. Uh, screenplay. Oh, look at all of these dudes. Which one are we looking at? Adapted or original? All of, oh, all of, look at all oh, of yeah, these all dudes. Men. <laughs> I will, the one, I, I like the fact that Paul Thomas Anderson got in for Inherent Vice because the fact that he even managed to make a Thomas Pinchon movie is just a miracle to me because I've read that book. Mm-hmm. And it's great. It's a great book and you're laughing a lot and then you get about 50 pages in and someone asks you, what's that about? What's happening? And you're like, oh, fuck. <laughs> no idea what happened, but I love it. it. The book makes you feel like you're stoned, and I've been told that the movie does the same. So, I love PTA; he's my favorite filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
I, I, what, what locks are here? I don't really know. I feel like screenplay is one where they at least have a chance to be a bit more left field with the wins. Because that's how you see people like Charlie Kaufman winning for Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Um, so maybe Nightcrawler, because like it seems to be like the odd one out in the original screenplay because it d- didn't get, you know, the big yeah. nomination. Yeah. I, mean, I know generally that... what happens is the Best Picture winner will win one of them. And then the other one is is a concession. That's true. I think Boyhood will win just because of the undertaking, mm-hmm. which is the reason I think it's going to win a lot. Yeah. Um, if not, then possibly the Grand Budapest Hotel, because they've never given Wes Anderson one for writing before. Mm-hmm. And writing tends to be one of the more interesting aspects of his movie. Adapted, I think... I, I kind of want to go out on a limb and say they'll give it to Inherent Vice just because they've never given an award to Paul Thomas Anderson before. It is an undertaking to adapt Thomas Pinchon. And there's nothing else really standing out. Whiplash, there was a bit of worry over that nomination because they considered it an adaptation because it's basically an extension of the short film they made. Mm-hmm. Which I I kind of get the reasoning and I kind of don't. So they might want to give it to that because they also like the indie. This is really an indie darling moment they could have. Mm-hmm. Um, and Whiplash is nominated for Best Picture. It's really yeah. the that and Boyhood are really their their indie movies. Mm-hmm. So I, I think you'll see the push coming later. You'll look at the Writers Guild winners, um, all these other lead ups. I think will give a good indication. But if they have any chance to be more adventurous, it's usually in writing. So mm-hmm. I would love to see Nightcrawler get it because I thought that was just a really interesting piece of work. Um, Grand Budapest Hotel, I would love just to win lots because I love that movie. I don't think Birdman will get it here. I think Birdman, if anything, is going to sweep tech. Mm -hmm. Because of the way that film is made, where it's made to look like it's one long take. Mm -hmm. And Inurito movies tend to do quite well in those fields. He's always nominated basically every time he brings a film. Yeah. You know, I, I admire that kind of puzzle, even though he usually makes the most depressing movies well, ever. It's interesting because Birdman's not actually up for best film editing. Which is such a surprise. I think they there must be a moment where like, well, clearly it wasn't edited, which is maybe a good sign of quality, but you know. Yeah. I don't think they were that stupid. I think maybe they just got caught up with other films. Mm-hmm. I'm convinced they're nominating American Sniper for editing just because of that trailer. Because it's a great trailer. Uh-huh. Nothing else about that movie is great, apparently, but that, yeah. Right. Right. Uh, surprise in animated feature. No Lego movie. Everything is not awesome. But the song did get in. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I understand the sadness over it not getting in. I think the fact that that movie is as good as it is, because it is, it's a great piece of work. It's a very smart and sophisticated piece of meta intertextual storytelling that happens to be about Lego and happens to feature Batman. <laughs> I love their Batman. I <laughs> Like like Will Arnett as Batman is just so genius. But looking at these nominees, I don't know who I'd drop. Mm-hmm. I haven't you seen have the box the... trolls, but I remember critical acclaim kind of like definitely there was buzz around the box trolls. Mm-hmm. I love Leica Studios for their work on Caroline and Paranorman. And I like that there are is is this, you know, let's at least acknowledge that there is this stop motion animation boom coming from this studio. Mm-hmm. Them and Ardman are really helping keep this alive, particularly in the mainstream releases. So I admire that. Uh, How to Train Your Dragon 2 is very, very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't seen Big Hero 6. 
Big Hero 6 is adorable. It's so funny. I love that Song of the Sea has gotten in. I haven't seen it, but it's by the people who made Secret of Kells, which mm-hmm. I love. And The Tale of Princess Kaguya is Studio Ghibli's potentially final movie. Mm-hmm. Which so. would explain it. What I like about The Song of the Sea um, what, what, and the, the last movies on The Tale of Princess Kaguya is if you look at them, they're not... I mean, they're probably done with computers, but they're not like the 3D and I think traditionally animated, they're traditionally animated. And I I like that they maybe dropped the Lego movie because they wanted the category to to reflect kind of that that technical aspect of the art still being alive. Yeah, I think they needed a reminder, particularly to big Western studios, that this art form is still alive and there are still people who really appreciate it and want to see it. Particularly since Disney don't seem to be very interested in making these kind of movies anymore. Mm-hmm. With Princess and the Frog was their last one, but I, didn't it do well? C- uh, it did twice as it did double its budget. It made about two hundred million dollars, which is considered a flop by their standards because it didn't make you know billions. Even for the sheer amount it would have made from you know merchandising and things alone, mm-hmm. I feel like it has just been used as a scapegoat as an excuse. To be honest, mm-hmm. yeah. And I I like the boom that Disney are in right now. I like that they're making some interesting choices with subject matter, with story with the creative teams that they're using, but there is this very big elephant in the room of them ignoring the particular art form that made them who they are. Mm-hmm. And that's very sad. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, they've got the money to make these kind of movies. You know, Marvel and Lucasfilm are helping to plug a lot of big money gaps. They can do this. And now that Studio Ghibli are... Well, I, I don't understand Studio Ghibli are announced to be retiring or shutting down every couple of years or so. So maybe they're not. But if they do eventually close, then that's another, you know, another good one down. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that the Leica, Leica Studios are getting a lot of recognition and money to make these kind of movies and that they're making money. Because I thought Coraline was stupendous. Wasn't quite as enamored with Paranorman, but um, it looked beautiful. All their films look beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I can't wait to see Song of the Sea because Secret of Kells just hit so many feels for me. <laughs> I did Celtic studies at university, so it was like, oh my god, it's the Book of Kells, and it's so pretty. It, that was pretty much the noise I made the entire thing during that film. I went to see with a friend, and we were the oldest people there that weren't taking children. Remind me after recording, Kayla. I have a Book of Kells story for you. <sighs> Very excited. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, interesting omission and best documentary feature Life Itself about Roger Ebert. Not there. That shocked me, actually. Um, cause it's Roger Ebert, you Philistines. Was he Interesting to note that on the there outs is now a... with the Academy for any reason? He seems like the kind of person who would show the middle uh, finger to the Academy. He was, uh, well, not, he, he, was he would say things like, look, it's not a, it's not a referendum on actual quality. You know, stuff like we've been saying. Um, but... I mean, when he died, they did a tribute to him, like they did to Gene Siskel. Mm. And I I think the Academy really did understand how important and how 
how much he did to support and push their art form. So, I, I, I don't know. I can't explain this. No, um, although they did take a pretty big risk in nominating Citizen Four, which is the movie about Edward Snowden hmm. documentary, I should say. Um, I'm, I'm intrigued by some of the films. Uh, there's a, a Kennedy has now been nominated for an Oscar. Um, Last Days of Vietnam is directed by Rory Kennedy. Um, the Finding Vivian Mayer, I'm really intrigued by, which is the story of this um, this woman who worked many years as a nanny for the rich and privileged children. And she was also an extremely prolific outsider photographer. And then after she died, several decades later, someone found all of her pictures and she ended up becoming this huge success after death. So mm-hmm. it's about finding out who this woman actually was. But yeah, I mean, my issue is I've kind of so much more cautious about this category ever since 20 Feet from Stardom beat um, The Act of Killing. Mm-hmm which was a truly revelatory piece of work. It was brave and interesting and original and terrifying and important. And it lost out to the the entertaining and also very worthwhile documentary that was about the Hollywood showbiz industry. Mm-hmm. So I, I will, that is sort of like colored the entire call, uh, c- category for me. But yeah, so I, I would actually have to see some of the films before I made a decision. But what do we think about Citizen Four being included? Because do you think I would have assumed this the subject matter might have scared their Academy off a little too political um, for their well, taste? Nominations are pulled from the the people in that branch of the Academy, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I believe so. These, this just pulled from documentary film i can totally see documentary filmmakers saying putting up the middle finger and saying don't be scared the whether the full academy is going to go along with that i think is a very different question also worth noting some of the films that have won this category before i mean uh, errol morris won it for him the fog of war which was his big interview with robert mcnamara Alex Gibney won it for a film about Guantanamo Bay. It's a relatively political category in itself. Um, if anyone's going to get up and give a speech about, you know, the evils of capitalism or, you know, we need to change our society now, the chances are most years it will come out of this category. I mean, Michael Moore. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also maybe they are a little more nervous about that kind of thing. The past couple of years, there's been a very unpolitical focus because inside job one in te- 2010 which was about you know we'll, the wall street dealings and dealings and charles ferguson gave a very political speech about that and then the year after that you have the documentary about the inspirational college football team then you have searching for sugarman the next year which is very artistically driven very feel good and then after that there's 20 feet from stardom and in those years you had things like the act of killing was nominated you had how to survive a plague which was about the aids epidemic um, even something like the final Paradise Lost movie, which was about the the free boys accused of satanic killings, um, which seemed the, the basis seemed to be um, they must have done it because they were Metallica fans. The West mm-hmm. Memphis Free, um, just remember who they were. So I, I can't speak for any sort of sociological change that's going on in the Academy related to that. Maybe they do just want to avoid controversy, but they could have done that by nominating Selma more. 
Yeah. So yeah. I, I would have to see some of the films before I really get too angry about its category. It would be interesting to see a Kennedy one just because it's a Kennedy. Oh my yeah. god, if you go on the Wikipedia page for best documentary feature under the nominees for Last Days of Vietnam, it says Rory Kennedy and Kevin McAllister and then in brackets they put, no, not the kid from Home Alone. Aww. <laughs> oh, that's really sweet. I hope that stays there. I hope nobody removes that. <laughs> Screen cap that. <laughs> I am totally doing that. Well, if we're going to speak about interesting name points, we will have to speak about dick poop. <laughs> we're all grown-ups. Let's just remind everyone that. Um, dick Pope is his name. He is a wonderful cinematographer who has collaborated for many years with Mike Lee. He's nominated for Mr. Turner. His work in that film is stellar. And the president of the Academy called him Dick Poop. And he, I believe his response to that was, you people are weirdos. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, pretty much a the best thing I can say about the technical awards is we do not live in a world where Transformers 4 has an Academy Award nomination. Thank that God. That is pretty nice. Thank God. Sometimes they do the right thing. Sometimes. Sometimes. I actually, most of the, t the tech stuff this year, I, I, I don't have any massive outrage moments. Actually, the only one I really do is the fact that some weirdo has decided that Interstellar could get nominations for sound editing and mixing. Yeah. I know that Christopher Nolan has said it was a stylistic choice for them to have people unable to hear what was going on. And all I can say is, what? What? I'm sorry, I can't hear you! What? It's too what? I went to see it with my grandmother at IMAX. She kept ye literally yelling at me. She says, I can't fucking hear what's going on, Kaylee! <laughs> meet your grandma someday <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like you would get on very well with her I took both my grandmothers to see um, Unbroken mm -hmm. for like a late Christmas treat and there's a moment in that film where there's a bit of a jump scare and my grandmother I basically had to scrape her off the ceiling <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, we skipped over best foreign language film but it's a very Eastern European category this year <laughs> couple big omissions and yet I don't know who they would omit uh, so Leviathan is really considered the favourite in this category um, Russian movie by Andre uh, I, can, would you like to pronounce the director's name so I don't end up getting stared at Andrei Zvaginsky Zvaginsky oh, I'm sure I've seen a film he's done before my friends made me watch it and they were like isn't this really interesting oh look at this and it's a callback to this and I was just like okay um, okay, I, I don't get it. It's what happens when you watch films with film students. Right. <laughs> um, it's a Russian novel. It's very cold and love also does not exist. <laughs> Speaking of which, Raiden. One... <laughs> yes, the yes. The one that could be a potential spoiler for Leviathan would be Ida, which is Poland's nominee mm -hmm. and has received a lot of critical love this year. Um... But there's no nomination for Goodbye to Language, which was Jean-Luc Godard's 3D movie, um, which a lot of critics really love. There's no nominee for 
force majeure, in force majeure, which is Sweden's entry, which was also very critically loved. Yeah, that, but Mauritania so, received its first nomination. Yeah. So yay! Well done, Mauritania. Yeah. I really want Russia to win just because I really want to see that speech. Yeah. <laughs> if he's going to be there. Uh, let's see. Uh, best original score? Uh, oh, I like this category. Yeah. <laughs> Des Platt is going to split his vote. <laughs> I, I thought the imitation game score was really pretty and really good, but it was very Alexandre Desplat. I think Desplat's problem is he does too many movies. Mm -hmm. He does like four or five a year, and I feel like he spreads himself too thin. He's kind of doing what Hans Zimmer did for a long time. Yeah. But the work that he did on the Grand Budapest Hotel, for me, I have been obsessed with that score since I saw that movie. I think that that music is wonderful, because he manages to create a very Wes Anderson-y score that is also incorporates a lot of Eastern European elements and actually manages to be very fun. It can be very hard to do score for a comedy movie without doing the sort of, oh, do, 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 something wacky is going to happen kind of thing that you see on every, you know, ABC dramedy. And he totally avoided that, which I really liked. Mm -hmm. So having said that, if Hans Zimmer wins for Interstellar, I wouldn't mind. I also thought that score was the best thing about that movie. It's bombastic, it's a little prog rock, it's got this use of the organ, which is very, you know, religious feeling. Um, mm -hmm. There's Philip Glass-inspired moments, and it just, the way it builds and builds, it just has your heart stomping, and I loved that. Mainly because it was the only thing you could hear in that movie as well. <laughs> yeah. It, it helped, because if you couldn't hear any of the dialogue, it made that movie instantly better. Mm -hmm. What if love transcends time? Stop talking! I was about to say The Hobbit didn't even make any technical categories but it did make sound editing but was omitted from both costumes and makeup yeah which is a surprise and visual effects no Hobbit in the visual effects I think people have just got I think people just got difference. Hobbit fatigue yeah I'm just the only person that doesn't have Hobbit fatigue by the sounds of it is Peter Jackson yeah pretty much uh, pretty I mean much. the the Biggest mistake of for the first time watching the Fellowship of the Ring with Peter Jackson's commentary on it, and it just made me hate everything. <laughs> I don't like wizards. I don't like magic. Well, maybe you're making the wrong movies then. Well, he went on this thing about overstretched superhero franchises and making too many yes. movies, and I was like, "Hey, Pot, look at that giant fucking black kettle in the corner. You should go say hi." Yeah. Yeah, the least self-aware man ever. Ugh. It's it's actually quite sad. Um. I mean, look, I, I, I loved Five Armies, but I also fully admit, and I, I'm on the record, I think, in, like, episode three of ours, saying that I have no perspective when it comes to the Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings movies. So, you know, whatever. I got, I got eight and a half hours of Richard Armitage grimacing dwarf pain at me, so I'm good. Yeah, I get that. I will say, I think costume design is going to be a lock for Colleen Atwood, because she always wins. Yeah. <laughs> for Into the Woods. Um, possibly Jacqueline Duran from Mr. Turner. She's also a previous nominee, I believe. And it's a period drama. Mm. <laughs> but it's not a big, cost, lavish costume period drama, so it might get overlooked for that. There are two MCU movies in Best Visual Effects. And X-Men, so... Mm-hmm. 
You know, superheroes are dominating that, at least. Yeah. I think Interstellar is probably going to win that, though. Mm. The effects are beautiful. I have no beef with that. I just have a beef with that terrible story. I understand he wanted to make a Spielberg movie. I get that. I feel like every filmmaker will at some point try and make a Spielberg movie. But, wow, that got clunky. And the more I think about that movie, the more it just pisses me. <laughs> oh, the funniest thing about the whole, you know, Hobbit didn't even make, like, say, best makeup category is that they didn't even get it's not even a full category they have three nominees and they looked at the rest of like the big special effects movies and said no fuck you <laughs> i find it fine well no guardians made it i guess I think Gar- guardians might get it or they might give it to fox catcher just for that nose for the nose <laughs> it's one hell of a nose I, I like to think that Steve Carell has it in a cabinet somewhere, like on a little glass box on top of a mantelpiece. <laughs> People come around and look at it and goes, "Ah, oh, yes, that's the foxcatcher nose, isn't it? Ah, yes. Well, if he wins, I like to think he'll attach the nose to the Oscar statue. <laughs> and then tweet it. Please, Steve Carell. Please. Oh, yes. I, I feel like he should just give the nose to Channing Tatum and let him wear it to the Oscars. Yes. You know he would do it. That would be amazing. I would say best song is where Lego Movie does appear. Academy Award nominees The Lonely Island. <laughs> um, I think the winner is going to be Glenn Campbell for I'm Not Gonna Miss You from Glenn Campbell. I'll be me because it's Glenn Campbell and 63-year-old white men have heard of him. Mm. I would love Selma to get it because I won't comment to go and give an speech that was as gutsy and necessary as his Golden Globe speech was. Yeah. They might be scared. Because, you know, oh no, black people. <laughs> I just well, want to see how they'll stage everything is awesome. If they bother. Sometimes oh, they, they have to, surely. I, I feel like Neil Patrick Harris will be involved with the song somehow. If he I wants to do so. some of the rapping and everything is awesome, I'm okay with that. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's... Are we, are we done with the Academy Awards? Oh... Uh- would that we were. <laughs> um, if, if you're bored with, if you've not listened to any of this and you're just joining us now, um, boo, it... Bradley, white privilege sucks. <sighs> yeah. Um, in the SAG Awards, uh, Tatiana Maslany finally got a nomination for Orphan Black as various. <laughs> <laughs> So, that's amazing. <laughs> Still no love for Hannibal, but at this point, we're used to that. That actually is kind of mind-boggling at this point to me. It, but I, I do wonder if, you know, is your social work in that horse just scared off anybody who thought about approaching it this year? <laughs> I feel like the face eating might have just gotten to them. Yeah. You know, the face keep nominating Boardwalk Empire for fuck's sake. It should be used to. The thing is, Boardwalk Empire became a far more interesting TV show than when it started. So I, I kind of get that. Hmm. Um, and, I, and I love that the Emmys gave an award to Bobby Cannavale um, when he was nominated because it's mm. Bobby Cannavale and he's lovely. And he's so charismatic. I hear he was good in Annie, but I never saw Annie. Did you see it, Raiden? I did see it. What did you think? I um, 
I I think on smart pitches I gave it a B. Um, I I really liked it. I really liked kind of how they were exploring a different a different version of Annie. Um, I thought Kavanjane Wallace was incredible. Um, she has charisma coming out of her ears, but she's also good enough that that she she can do the kid closed off face when you hit a topic that the kid doesn't want to talk about, and she can do that without making it like overacting. Um, I thought Jamie Foxx was okay. I thought the new songs were okay. Um, Cameron Diaz was a mess, which we knew was going to happen. I can't even watch her in the trailer. It's just, oh God, what it's... was her direction? It's like, okay, we've just picked you out of a bar. You're still hungover, and we're just going to pop you in here, and it would make total sense. Just go with it. Yeah. That, that made no sense to me, considering all of the really cool, older, actor, established musical actresses they could have had in that role. Yeah, exactly. Because Jane Lynch played the role on Broadway quite Broadway. recently, and I was like, that would have been awesome. Yeah. Yeah, no, Cameron Diaz was a hot-ass mess. And they went for a Miss Hannigan redemption arc, which, no. 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 Just, no. No, no, no. She gets her come up and she doesn't get redeemed. No. Also, they did not end with Annie crawling up a, a railway bridge, raising into the air, which was my favorite part of the 1981-2 movie. That was the best part with uh, Punjab rescuing her from a helicopter. That was the best part of the movie. I love that part of the movie. It was a weird kid. <laughs> and they didn't have that. There was no like real emotional stakes. Toward, or no real... There's no real like physical stakes in the climax of the movie. They were just going to dump her back into the foster system. Now, there's... More drama if you if you think they're actually going to kill the kid. Come on. But no, we can't traumatize young children about like fuck you. Of course you can't. <laughs> I'm just tired of adults underestimating kids and what they can handle. And oh my god, this is a kid show. Yeah, you know, kids can handle a lot more than you think. And if they don't get it, they will assume it is irrelevant and boring. And we did a whole podcast on that. Exactly. And then they'll come back to it and go, oh my God. <laughs> and realize that one, they weren't traumatized by it because they had no idea what was going on. Oh. Yeah. Trust children. And also trust adults to actually pronounce Benjamin Wallace's name correctly. Ricky Gervais. Mm-hmm. Actually, if there you is... can pronounce Benedict Cumberbatch, you can pronounce Benjamin Wallace, okay? Yeah. There is one thing from the media that pissed me off more than that, and that was whoever was the man who asked her, like, what kind of movie or book did you like as a little child? And she was like, well, I'm still a little child. Yeah. Like, she's 10 years old. The hell is wrong with you? Exactly. Exactly. Let the girl be a girl. And... Who also happens to be a, a, an Armani model, and she looks so adorable in those hats. I know. She's working it. I know. You will get all your free Armani. Go for it. Yeah. All right. Uh, 
do we think we have rage aneurysm enough? So you don't want to hear my 60-minute monologue? It was going to no. be very Shatner-inspired. <laughs> no, but speaking of Shatner-inspired, Chris Pine in Into the Woods. Perfection. <laughs> I heard of it. Perfection. Oh, my God. Agony was one of the best parts of that movie. Where they're on a waterfall, ripping their shirts open. Oh, my God. Totally worth the ticket price all by itself. And I need somebody to recognize, I need people to recognize that Emily Blunt needs to have her moment where she wins everything. Did you see her at the Critics' Choice Award where she won, I think it was her Best Action Actress, and then John Krasinski ran on stage to give her a hug? Yeah, I saw that on Tumblr. Because oh, this is how we this is how we get most of our celeb news. Was it on Tumblr? Yeah. Was it in yes. Gift yes. <laughs> Best Action Actress was that for uh, was, Edge, of, was... Edge of Tomorrow. Yeah. Live, die, repeat. Yeah, I can never figure out why does it have two titles? Because it didn't make as much money as they thought it would when it came out because it went up against John Green's cancer movie. So they thought if they put a different title on it, people would somehow be tricked. You know, they should have yeah. just called it what the light novels were called, which is All You Need Is Kill, which is a lot easier to remember. <sighs> so, the Academy, super white, still kind of racist. The Golden Globes, everybody drink. The Sags, give Tatiana her award. Hannibal, still zero recognition. Richard yep. Armitage, still fine. <laughs> Penny Dreadful Richard coming back Armitage two days before my birthday. Wee. Oh, have you seen that trailer? Yes. Oh my god. For which? Penny Dreadful. Penny Dreadful. Oh yes, yes. April is going to be a very full month. See, this is one of the reasons I'm kind of glad Hannibal is going to be in the summer. You know, I get to yeah. pace myself with some of the TV. Yeah. Oh, do we want to give just like quick two second, you know, overview of how much we love? Uh, Peggy Carter and Agent Carter and how much better it is than actual Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And... Well, I haven't seen it, but you two go for it. Uh, we have been reviewing Agent Carter on Smart Bitches. Um, it's been it's been stressful getting the recaps done. Is <laughs> When I did the recaps for Outlander, since they were based on the books, and I know the books really, really well, I can knock those recaps out in half an hour. This, I actually have to, like, pause the TiVo and rewatch. Oh god. It... But Haley Atwell and James Darcy are like... Oh! I ship it. I ship it so hard. It's like the the Avengers like the classic British TV show. It's so... Yes. They snark at each other Britishly and I'm sure it's fun to be working together again after uh, Mansfield Park. Because they were both in that in the Billy Piper one. So, yes, Agent Carter is amazing. And you should all watch it. Um, and not just because it's kind of fun to look at all the fight scenes and go, okay, Atwell, did you actually hit somebody there? For real. Yeah. All the stuntmen were harmed in the making of that scene <laughs> series. All of them. <laughs> <laughs> Haley Atwell is a menace. I bet you the insurance on that set goes up just because did you hire Haley Atwell? Well, your insurance premium is not going to be up. Go up a little bit. 10%, 10 Atwell surcharge. Yeah. 
So, yes. And hopefully the kind of the idea is that if this eight episode run of Agent Carter does well, then they'll do another one and just kind of work it work their way towards the present through the decades is what Atwell has said. So watch it, love it. Ooh. Also, she looks amazing. And then follow her on Twitter, because she's adorable. <laughs> and we'll show off her spanks. <laughs> we love our sexy goofballs at Anglophies of all genders. Of all genders. And identities. Yes. In upcoming exciting British TV news, the adaptation of Hilary Mantel's Wolf Hall is about to come on the BBC. It is set to be a rich and complex and impeccably put together exploration of the complexities and politics of the Tudor monarchy and Damien Lewis is playing Henry VIII which is going to continue a proud tradition of Kayleigh inappropriately fancying actors playing Henry VIII mm-hmm. we're and up to four I, now it's a bit of a <laughs> I believe that will be airing in the US in March I believe is the plan the cord pieces have been reduced for you Americans so thanks a lot yeah well um, Who's in charge of uh, measuring the codpiece? I want that it's... <laughs> it's good to have goals. Good to have goals. <laughs> Which going into work every day to do that? That would be amazing. Uh, yes. So Wolf Hall is happening. Penny Dreadful is happening. Uh, the back half of season one of Outlander is starting on April 4th. Oh, there's all sorts of things happening. Just not at the Oscars. Just not at the Oscars. The Oscars. A white a white dude is going to win. I'm just looking... In, you know what? In, in things that are upcoming on TV, what I'm looking forward to is when the second part of The Hollow Crown comes out and Kaylee has to wrestle with herself because Cumberbatch, but Judy Dench! <laughs> Cumberbatch, but Keely Hawes! Yeah. We'll see, we'll see yeah. what wins. There is going to be plenty to talk about in terms of movies in 2015. That movie about the the wars and the stars is coming out. Yeah. You know, that one? That one. Um, The one about the the superheroes and the big robot, that's coming out. Yeah. Uh, Chris Pine, uh, Velociraptor Fun Time with Friendship (laughs) is coming out. No, Chris Pratt. Chris Pine is a totally different dude. Andy Dwyer, Dinosaur Guy. Can we make Chris Pine do that? No, I feel we, like want like Andy, we want Andy Dwyer, dinosaur guy. That is true. That's true. I am here just for Chris Pratt in general. Right. Okay, Remember. here we go. Outlander starts on April 4th. Mad Men starts on April 5th. Wolf Hall is airing in the U.S. on April 5th. Daredevil is released on Netflix on the 10th. Game of Thrones, Veep in Silicon Valley on the 12th. And Orphan Black on the 18th. And Penny Dreadful on the 26th. That is our April. That's going to be very busy. Yes. Other potentially interesting films to look out for, at least in terms of the big budget ones. Inside Out is a new Pixar movie, which is about how the emotions in your head make you work or make you don't work. Cinderella with Kenneth Branagh's directing and lots of fabulous costumes. Oh, yeah. Wait. Uh, Crimson Peak, which is Guillermo del Toro with Jessica Chastain and Tom Hiddleston. Mm-hmm. That posh British guy we like. Uh, the Good Dinosaur, which is the other Pixar movie. 
There's a bunch of superhero stuff coming out, including Fantastic Four, which has gone back into reshoots, apparently. Oh. <laughs> um, Ant-Man, which is <clears throat> just... Eh. Yeah, yeah, and Ant-Man is still happening. Uh, there's going to be a new Terminator the movie. MCU's worst trailer. Seriously, Ant-Man. Worst trailer. The resounding meh that came from all of my Twitter feed. <laughs> the entire internet. Was, yeah. it was just, it was kind of, you know the episode of Futurama where they go to the neutral planet? And you go, I have no strong feelings one way or the other. It was just nothing but that. It's yeah. a beige maybe, alert. Maybe Marvel's thought on this is at some point we have to have a movie that people don't universally love. So we may as well just lightning rod it now. And then no matter what we do from for the next five years, people will go, well, at least it's not Ant-Man. <laughs> risky strategy. Risky strategy. Risky, risky strategy. Um, Glenn Weldon. Uh, again, a hot <laughs> <I love> Glenn, <laughs> Glenn Weldon. He's so amazing. <laughs> for his uh, 2014 predictions, he predicted that the top four franchise movies would be in this order. Number one would be uh, Amazing Spider-Man 2. <laughs> Number two would be X-Men Days of Future Past. Three would be Winter Soldier. And four would be Guardians of the Galaxy because nobody had any fucking idea what it was about or what was going on, so no one would go see it. <laughs> and I know! <laughs> and in their 2014 wrap-up and new predictions episode, he's like, that was the stupidest fucking thing anyone has ever said on this show, ever. <laughs> So he immediately predicted that Jupiter Ascending was going to be the biggest movie that ever happened anywhere ever. Jupiter Ascending is gonna... coming out in three weeks, and I have two questions. You know, are are Channing Tatum's abs enough of a draw yes. to get people to see it? And two, how many minutes until Sean Bean dies? I'm I'm going to say the twenty fourth minute. Okay. I'm gonna be a little now? bit more optimistic and say forty three. Elena? Oh, God. You know, I, I kind of want to be the spoiler and say, what if he lives? I'm going to go with that. I'm going to live dangerously. Sean Bean survives the movie. Let's do it. Brilliant. Okay. I hope you're not going to have to see this movie. This is the Wachowskis. They know how to get with We'll be back next month and we'll see how we did. Somebody write this down. It's just, I want it to do well because I love the fact that, that someone is at least giving the Wachowskis money to make original, big budget, semi experimental, and just weird films. Because I think we're becoming such a risk, it's a risk free industry right now. Which is why the money is going towards Star Wars, which is why it's going towards Marvel, which is why DC are supposed to be splitting Batman versus Superman into two movies. The Mary Sue had the best response to that. They just put, nope. And then they put a picture of it up and then just put, nope, again. <laughs> but if you look at everything else that's coming out this year, you know, there's going to be the second Mockingjay movie. There's going to be Insurgent, because we needed that. There's going to be a new Mad Max movie, which looks really interesting, but, you know, it's a, a recognisable name, which is why they did it. There's going to be a new Terminator movie. Um, there's going to be a seventh Fast and Furious movie. The third Taken movie just came out. There's going to be a second Hot Tub Time Machine, because why? What? Yeah, true. True. Uh, there's going to be a new Mission Impossible movie. 
Um, what else is there going to be? The Tomorrowland, which is based on the Disney theme park. Yeah, I'm going to watch the shit out of that, too. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be interested <laughs> in that movie if it didn't have Brad Bird's name attached to it, but, you know, it does. It does. And the Kloon. And I do love the, the Kloon. Kloon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Man from Uncle is getting a new movie directed by Guy Ritchie, which it's got lots of pretty people in it, so it does have that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to get the Frankenstein movie eventually with um, with Daniel Radcliffe as Igor. I don't care that he's called Igor. He's going to be called Igor, okay? <laughs> and then next month... We yeah, have okay, the- see, we were just going to let that go, and then you got all defensive, so... <laughs> And then next month, um, that 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 one comes out. Mm-hmm. Yep, that, yeah. one. that one. Which is why I'm declaring February the 14th nat- National Let's Watch Secretary Instead Day. <laughs> we will be with you in spirit, but we're not I, actually going to see it. I, like, <laughs> I watch this shit so you don't have to. I read this shit so you don't have to. I take my job seriously. The, the dedication is, it's admirable. I are you are you seeing it when it opens? Like on the Oh yeah, night? we're gonna go see it opening night. Are you gonna like watch them Rocky Horror the shit out of this? Um I think the plan is, I haven't talked to Amanda about this. So if she's listening, which I don't know if she listens to my and if not, why not? Anyway. Um the the plan that I'm going to propose is that we go to our classy as fuck movie theater that has double wide armrests and assigned seatings and there are off to the side there are little almost alcove likes where it's almost a couch and we just curl up on that and from there we can drink and snark at least at each other I'm not going to pull out my phone and live tweet it because you there's no way to not bother people with that and I really need the people who were in the front row at Selma, who kept pulling out their phones until I literally yelled. This was after the employees had talked to them. Until I literally yelled, put away your phone. Scared the shit out of the guy sitting next to me. (laughs) What was he mad about? (laughs) He left before I could apologize for that. (laughs) But still, your smartphone is fucking bright. And if you're in the front row of an arena seating, seating theater... You're going to bother everybody behind you. That's how it works. So put your phone in airplane mode. And if you can't be away from Twitter or your text messages for two hours, don't go see a movie. Feelings. Standing ovation. Standing ovation. We fully endorse this dance. <laughs> I feel like you should just go to this midnight um, event, but you should just dress up as a totally different character. <laughs> Everyone has to get really excited with their like later's baby t-shirts and stuff, and you just arrived dressed as Hermione Granger. <laughs> yeah. Wait, what do you mean the Star Wars movie isn't out yet? <laughs> Which is Wait, not so getting a Harry Potter movie. What? <laughs> well, someone's getting out a wand. <laughs> it's only rated R. We're not going to see any dick. <laughs> it's going to be off camera. <laughs> All right, so this has been episode 28. I'm totally going to win this bet next month. <laughs> oh, it's on. It's, yeah. on. it's on. It's on. And so so what does the winner get? 
Oh, that's a good question. What does the winner get? What is the bet? Oh, don't put me on the spot. We'll have to come up. We'll, we'll, let, we'll let the listeners know. It's a cliffhanger. Okay. They'll have to come All right, up we'll it. let listeners decide <laughs> and understand that there is a $15, 20-pound limit. Sure. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Yep, it's fair. Okay. All right. So this has been episode 28. We hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you at the movies. We totally don't blame you if you choose not to watch the Oscars. I will. But, yeah. So, yeah. Have a good day, everybody. Bye. Bye. You have been listening to Anglophies, a made-of-fail production.